the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Oral Sessions. I feel like we need, like, a nickname for listeners. Like, the... The Oralies, the Sessionies, I don't know. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Nobody wants to be called the Oralies. That's not good or cute. We're not using that. Anyways, I'm open to suggestions. Send them my way. Um, okay, guys, we are in the month of October, which means Halloween's just around the corner, which means furthermore that we are continuing on with a more spooky episode of Oral Sessions. So with that being said... Tis the season. Uh, I got to bring on a very Trey cool dude. Uh, you may know him from the band Slipknot. You may know him from Stone Sour. You may know him from CMFT. You also may know him from his brand new movie called Bad Candy that is uh, kind of available everywhere. I watched it on iTunes. I, I bought it or rented it on there. Fantastic. Highly recommend. Kind of touches all, all of the basics that you want. In a scary movie. And it features none other than Corey Taylor. Um, what a great guy. Great dude. I had to like slide into his DMs to book him on the show. I was like, can I get him on here? And he's a big wrestling fan. So luckily we were able to make that connection and got him on. Had a hell of a chat. And we talked so many cool ghost stories and uh, uh, the I guess like the laws of attraction within uh, attracting ghosts, which apparently I might do. Uh, I got to look into that a little bit more. I'll be doing that. No worries on that. Um, all right. So, guys, let's get into it. Another spooky edition of Oral Sessions featuring Corey Taylor. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Great. I'm so glad that we were able to do this and get together because I was like, you like send out like that creepy DM where I'm like, uh, do you want to like go on my podcast? And then like. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're actually able to connect. So this is very, very cool. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you're in the middle of tour. How is tour going? Tour's great. The shows have been great. I think this is the, the third iteration of our Not Fest Road Show. So it's us and three other bands. We have Code Orange, uh, Fever 333. Code Orange, it does Bray Wyatt's music, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very lovely human beings they are. Oh, great dudes. Yeah. All the, they're super cool. Even Kill Switch Engage, we've known for years. All the bands are super rad and so stoked to be back out on the road. And we have such stringent restrictions that they're like, everybody's really, really happy about it. Like we're, we're doing our best to kind of set the standard. So other bands, you know, other tours can kind of come around and, and follow the example. What does that mean? What are you guys doing? Basically live nation only venues, which require all staff to be vaccinated. It also means that at the gigs, you can either show a vaccination card or a negative test to come in. And basically means that you're masked at all times backstage. If someone pops positive, they are quarantined and they stay behind. Oh man, that would suck. Hey, just be stuck somewhere in a hotel room. That would stink. We've only had two outside crew people test positive. And we have been lucky enough 
once that happened, we have tested every day, all the crews of all the bands, all the bands of all the bands, all the bus drivers, everyone to make sure that we're all negative. So it's an arduous process, but it's a necessary process to make sure that we keep this machine on the road. I mean, you know, I mean, it's very much like, you know, a traveling international wrestling promotion. There are so many moving parts. There are so many people and so many different you know, positions that you don't even realize that you can trace back contact with one of them through like six other people. You just never know. Like one person on the outside gets it. They have contact with three people who are close to you. Boom, you're exposed. And so it's really, it's a juggling act, like trying to make sure that we keep it in, you know, keep it in check. It's super tough. I remember um, that happening when I was at WWE, when they started, you know, as they were trying to keep the shows up and running and it was like, oh shit, we had talent from NXT surrounding the ring. And one of those people had tested positive and it was just this like dominoes effect. But yeah, I mean, tracing it back, at least you, you guys are doing the best that you can. How was that first show back? With Slipknot, it was rad, man. Like it was because we hadn't played a show together. I had done the CMFT stuff, you know, here and there, but it's such a different beast. And Slipknot, you know, I mean, Slipknot is like Cirque du Soleil and MMA all kind of like squashed <laughs> yes. together into one, you know? Yeah. yeah. We hadn't seen each other in a while. So we only saw each other really for the, like the three rehearsals that we did before the first show back. And we hadn't played a show in over 500 days. So we got on stage and we were feeling good. And then the audience popped and we all lost our minds and started running like full speed, like we were in our twenties again and quickly realized that we're all almost 50. And it was like, <laughs> it hit us. It hit yeah. us hard. Me and Jim were backstage <laughs> leaning up like, <laughs> <laughs> get me that Mick Jagger oxygen tank. <laughs> are we, are we at altitude? Is that what's yeah. It was so rad though. And then every show after that just got better and better. We just got our stage legs back and it was great. You know, the audience was so ready for it that we could have played a hot cross buns and they would have loved it. You know, I could do that on recorder. If you guys need backup, so can I. I'm just we'll, we'll you know. harmonize. We'll do it. I mean, we'll do the thing. We're going to do this thing. <laughs> the only musical talent I have is playing hot cross buns on a recorder. So done. We're there. Um, I hear that you guys might have some new music coming out soon. Yeah, we, we might. We might uh, little something, something. Yeah, um, it's really, really good, and that's just the precursor to a new album to come out next year. So um, we're still, still finishing that off. It's kind of been piecemeal because we've been kind of spread across the, you know, across the country. And luckily because of the technology and whatnot, we can do that now. Where you know the the majority of the band can record in LA. And then you just fly the session over to Vegas where I do my vocals and whatnot. Where do you record that in Vegas? Do you just do it out of your house? There's a place called The Hideout. Um, it's owned by Kevin Churko. That's where I did my CMFT album. Um, that's where I go to do a lot of the musical stuff that I do, especially if I'm doing like a guest spot uh, with anybody. I can just run down there. I have a great relationship. It's, a, it's amazing. State-of-the-art studio. Uh, the people there are great. It's the Churko family actually own it, run it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really, really rad. Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay. So you're on tour. The world is, you know, sort of back up and running. 
how different is it being on the road with Slipknot as opposed to being on tour with your CMFT? I mean, it's essentially the same. Um, the, I mean, the great thing is, is that the guys in Slipknot, man, we're all getting along really well. We have kind of a, a turbulent relationship, you know? I mean, it's, you know, part of that tension is why we've always made great music, but at the same time, there's so many different people and so many different personalities and just dealing with different mental weirdness, you know, we all have it. So it's sometimes it's difficult to, you know, the, the only time we would ever really feel like we were on the same page is when we were on stage. And you, luckily that was enough to kind of, you know, get us to bond. But I think this break actually in something, you know, something being vehemently pulled away from us that was out of our control has really made us realize that maybe we were taking it for granted, you know? So we've all really reconnected on, on a, like a very personal level. And it's actually been a pleasure to go to work again, man. It was rad. So we're all like, we're all joking around and stuff like we used to do back in the day. And uh, we're all stoked for the shows. We're all stoked for the album. And so that in a way is, is very similar to the way it is with CMFT because CMFT, these are guys that I've known for, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, I've done side stuff with them. Tooch was in Stone Sour with me for a minute. I've done music with all of these dudes. And it was just one of those things where if I was going to put a solo album together and put a solo band together, I was going to do it. I wasn't going to just get a a bunch of hired guns. I was going to get dudes that I've jammed with, dudes that I trust, dudes that I know would be just as excited about the music as I am. And really try to make something powerful where, and and such a good time that when you come and see us play, you never know what you're going to get. You never know what to expect. So in that way, it was very positive. You know, that's, those are the parallels, you know, the difference really is besides the fact that I'm strapping a stupid ass mask (laughs) on my face half the time, you know, um, is, I mean, it's just, it's such a different world. You know, when people come to see CMFT, very, um, I mean, I could go out there and play SpongeBob, which I have, and people lose their minds, you know, with Slipknot, it's such an amazing culture. Now, this thing that we've built that we spent, you know, 22 plus years, like putting together has really fostered this amazing community, you know, like this, this really gnarly music has brought people together. I'm so intrigued by your fan base, like the Slipknot fan. So I, my dad has worked for Live Nation for the past like 20 years. Um, So like I grew up like kind of being in and around like music in Toronto big time. But I used to waitress at the Molson Amphitheater in Toronto and Slipknot (laughs) played there. This was like... Oh my, I would have been probably God 19 and I'm like a thousand now. Um, So it was a long time ago, but I remember taking like the subway in Toronto and I like, you know, when you're like working at a venue, you're not even sure like what band's coming in or what's happening. Is it like Jimmy Buffett or like what's happening? But I remember like getting off the subway and I'm like, wait, what show's happening here tonight? Cause like seeing like the Slipknot fans, like starting to pile into the amphitheater and they're like walking off the subways. I'm like, what is happening here? But your fan base is like, they're incredible. They're crazy. I mean, they're honestly the reason that we're still here. You know, I mean, there were so many times where being at war with the music industry and being at war with the various streaming services and just it's a very, very hard gig to do these days because a lot of 
the opportunities that we had when we started aren't there anymore. You know, like the old way is pretty much dead. So you have to adjust. Now we're lucky enough because we're established. Um, we, but the newer bands are kind of walking into the wild west right now. And it's very hard sometimes to make a living. Aren't you so glad you missed that or like were there before all that shit? It's intriguing to me. You know, like I love the fact that we came out when we did because it was the tail end of the old system. And we were actually kind of trying to be ahead of the curve in a lot of this stuff where we had, we were one of the few bands that had their own website uh, at the time. We were one of the few bands that were offering things electronically online. Um, so we were always already looking for the new way, like what was going to be the next phase, the next generation of whatever. But at the same time, that transition happened so quickly that dealing with record labels and whatnot, who only choose to use certain language when it comes to contracts and whatnot, and they will find a way to even you out of a way for you to make a little more based on the hard work that you do. So it was kind of, it was hard, man, like really kind of learning and cutting our teeth in a weird way in a system that was, it wasn't perfect, but it was at least set up in a way where if you were successful, you could make a living at it. And now the pendulum is kind of spun completely back the other way because the artist, what people don't realize is the artists don't own their master. Do they end up in like a Taylor Swift situation? That's exactly it. And this is one of the reasons why it was really smart of her to re-record these songs because then she owns that master. The masters of the old stuff are owned by the label, which means they make the incredible lion's share of all the money. So you're only really making your money off of touring and merch. That's exactly it. So, so it's tough, man, you know, trying to juggle both sides of the coin and you know, and it's not all streaming services, you know, some streaming services pay more than others, but at the same time, until the legislation that was actually passed four years ago gets put through, a lot of newer bands have no way to make a living other than to go out and tour and go and put, do merch. But how, how do you do that if nobody's heard your product yet? So it's a weird catch 22 and we're kind of grandfathered in. But at the same time, it's like you know, we're doing everything we can for the newer generation to, to give them a place to play their music and, and put them on a, a bigger stage. But how do you capitalize on it at the end of the day? So that's kind of where we're at. You know, it's it's easy for pop and it's easy for hip hop, especially because they still have so many you know different radio stations and whatnot. But there are certain pop radio stations that won't play anything that has guitar on it. I learned that the hard way. And there are so many different weird genre specific radio stations that people don't even realize. That's why when people get mad because they don't hear their favorite songs on the radio, it's because those stations don't have to play them. God, how do you even like stumble upon new music at that point? Like it's hard to find stuff. Like I find myself sometimes I'm like, God, I feel like I listen to the same like 10 bands over and over when I'm like, Hey, how do I find some new stuff? And yeah, without having, I mean, who, who really listens to the radio all that much anymore anyways, but yeah. Crazy. Interesting. Well, I'm glad that you guys got that grandfather deal and everybody already knows who you are. So you're, you're in a better spot. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it took a long time, but yeah, I mean the work, and I think that's part of it is like the work was worth it. And it definitely made us feel like no matter what happens to us, we're going to be okay. You know, like we've established something that even if 
all of the, you know, like going number one up with the album sales and all that stuff, it, it, that goes away. We can still go out and tour and make a living. And that's all you really want at the end of the day, you know? With big fights every week, there's never been a better time to give FanDuel Sportsbook a shot and join the action on FanDuel Fight Nights. Because right now, you can place your first bet risk-free. That's right. You're going to get up to $1,000 back if you don't win. FanDuel gives you so many bets to choose from. There's parlays, round props, method of victory bets, and so much more. Uh, You guys are absolutely going to love this. The thing I love the most about FanDuel is just how easy it is to use. I mean, it is truly foolproof. I can use it you can use it. I pinky swear you on that. Um, it's also the number one rated sportsbook app in America. So if that doesn't give you some assurance, I don't know what to tell you. I'm in. The app is so incredibly easy to use. Also, the fact that when you win, you'll get paid in as little as 24 hours. Place your bets, get paid. So with FanDuel in your corner, you are always get exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more to make your FanDuel fight night even more exciting. That's why they are America's number one sports book. So just sign up with the promo code Renee to bet risk-free up to $1,000 on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. That is with my promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, New Jersey, Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 for Arizona. Um, okay, I would like to jog things back because um, I've, I, I usually do a lot of my research on wikipedia.org. And I read on there that you got a lot of your inspiration for Slipknot through the trailer for the movie Halloween. Is this true? And can you elaborate? My fascination with Slipknot can kind of be traced back to that. First of all, it's my favorite movie of all time. Have you seen the newest one yet? I have. Well, I've seen, I saw the 2018 one. I haven't seen Halloween kills yet. I haven't seen that one yet. My mom, when I was a kid, took me to see Buck Rogers, which I don't know if you remember that one. I don't. It's the, the disco space movie. Everybody's in like satin <laughs> and weird. And my mom was like, well, this is kind of like Star Wars. I'm sure he'll like this, you know? But here's the thing, like that was the movie that we were going to see in front of that movie was the trailer for the first Halloween. I can remember vividly the feeling that I got when I watched that trailer. I didn't care about Buck Rogers from Adam. All I want to do is see that movie. It took a couple of years before I could even see it because I was so young. I was about five at the time when I, when I came out, but I was mesmerized by it. And just the, the vision of Michael Myers, very stark, quiet, very imposing, didn't have to do anything, didn't have to say anything. And just the fact that that mask was just so dead. Haunting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you saw that in real life at the end of an alley, 
I mean, I can handle myself, but nope, I'm <laughs> gone, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Though I will say definitely brought fashion to the forefront in the sense that everybody loves a good utility suit these days, but still. I can't take credit for what Slipknot started doing at the time because I joined two years later. Stone Sour was actually a, a band before Slipknot happened. So when they asked me to join, I actually left Stone Sour to join Slipknot. And when I joined, the mentality I remember finding myself being fascinated by was, I don't know if it was intimidation, but it was definitely the wonder that comes with the unknown. We were never truly violent except to ourselves. You know, like we were always messing with each other on stage. I mean, we have the famous thing that flip for the punch in the face where we flip a quarter and, you know, whoever lost the day, they got you know, smacked, you know. We used to set ourselves on fire. We would find the tallest things that we could find and jump off that. I mean, Sid to this day has to walk with a cane because he's done Oh so my much. God. Yeah. I mean, we were... We were ECW for metal things. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> yes, that's what we were. ECW, babe. There was a lot of art to it. There was a lot of passion. There was a lot of mystery. And essentially what we were trying to do was build something that scared people, fascinated people, that people could also respond to and relate to in a weird way. That's why... My lyrics have never been campy. They've never been overtly, you know, horror themed or anything like that. It, it was always more about the art than it was about the arson. And I think that's why people responded to it because there was a truth to it in a crazy way because everybody else was so animated and so very good at what they were doing. My truth became using the mask to show that side of me that doesn't really get necessarily get a chance to show itself because I'm pretty upbeat. I like hanging out, like talking shit, you know, but there's also a side of me that deals with issues that I grew up with. And this gave me a vehicle for that. So I kind of tied back to seeing Michael Myers in those shots and the fact that it wasn't, he wasn't overtly, violent. He would just come towards you with a purpose. He would come towards you with a mission. And that's how I responded. So it was very much bursts of energy, you know, kind of going from a cold stop into boom, flashpoint. That's the inspiration I took from that. And it wasn't even the movie itself. It was just that trailer because there's just so much, it's almost the inactivity in that trailer that I was fascinated by, you know? To me, that's always the best thing in horror movies. Uh, any kind of anything that has to do with scaring the crap out of you. I love the stuff when you're left with your own imagination. And that's what it is. It's those pauses and letting yourself like, I hate when I'm watching something and you actually like do get the payoff of seeing the like goblin or whatever. I'm like, no, I want my mind to like imagine what it is. Cause that's always sort of the better payoff. Um, but yeah, no, I, I get that 100%. So that leads me into talking about Bad Candy. What a movie. Oh my God. How much fun did you have doing Bad Candy? I had a blast. I mean, it was literally two days. I was only there for two days. Me and Zach just hanging out, having a blast, you know, like we just hit it off really quick, man. And we worked really well together. 
I was a, I, I believe I was a last minute replacement for somebody, but it was also on a very short list of people that they actually wanted. See, I assumed you just would say like, Hey, I'm Corey Taylor. I want to be a part of this movie. And then you're just like brought in there. Very rarely do I even go and test for anything. Like I usually I'll just get hit up. They're like, and because of my schedule, it's usually just a, like a small part of whatever. Cause when I did fear clinic, that was two weeks. And that was like the most I'd ever really fleshed out a character period, you know, and I just pretended to be one of my mom's ex-boyfriends from the eighties. You know, that was, that was all I really needed, you know, but with bad candy, it was easy because I had a radio show, you know, I had my show that I had on Apple music and it was very much just finding the beats and, you know, and, and kind of tapping into the the timbre that goes into, Hey, this is really, really <laughs> going at you, you know, just kind of you know, hamming that up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then just having fun with it, you know, and and the whole crew, because it was essentially just me and Zach, like everybody else had already shot their stuff. So we were really the bookends. Because the rest of it is all very elaborate. I feel like the rest of it must have taken forever to shoot. There's so much going on. They had shot all of that before he and I even showed up. So what they did was they just so that way they could spend two days just shooting us and tying all of the stories together, which was great because then we realized, and they were showing us stuff that already shot so we could react and I could talk about these things in, in a way where I could really see it. And that helped so much, you know, and they let us kind of riff on each other as well. And, and they left a lot of that stuff in there. Acting is just getting to hang out with somebody and pretend you're somebody else. I mean, that's really it for me. Like, I'm not trying to win any awards or anything. I'm just having fun. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. <laughs> because we are getting close to All Hallows Eve, um, your favorite scary movies? Obviously, the aforementioned Halloween, the 78, Halloween 78, sticking with John Carpenter, The Thing from Dust Till Dawn it was probably one of my all time favorite movies because it's just, it's so crazy in the beginning and yet goes absolutely batshit towards the end. I saw that like six times in the theater. Like it was just so rad. I absolutely loved it. Let's see. It's weird because I, I keep cutting up, I keep cutting up horror into different genres as well, because there's like sci-fi horror. There's uh there's gore horror. Uh, there's supernatural thrillers. I mean, there's like so many different things. I'm always partial to like, I love a good exorcism. I love a good demon. Um, ghosts, ghosts are what get me. I like that oh, yeah. sort of like reality based, like, holy shit, this could happen. Scenario. Right, right. That's where I like to live. Which leads me to number four, hereditary. That movie affected me so bad. I can't watch it again. Like that's how, because my wife and I, me and Alicia, we were laying in bed and she goes, have you seen Hereditary yet? I was like, no, let's watch it right now. And we put it on. I don't think we were prepared for what we were about to deal with. Because I mean, we're seriously laying in the bed like. (laughs) It was so off-putting, dude, that I... To this day, I think about it and just that Tony Collette's eyes can just make me just like Tony Collette's fantastic. She is one of the best actors I've ever 
scene. Like it's criminal that she doesn't have more awards, man. She is one of those actresses that no matter what she's in, I'll watch it. She has like that star power of like anything she's in, I'm in, I will watch it 100%. The fact that she can go from that to Knives Out, I mean, it's which is another one of my favorite movies. It's so good. Did you ever watch United States of Terra? Oh yeah, absolutely. So great. So rad. Okay. So now what else? What else you got? Aliens. The second one, it's so good and it's so fast that for a kid who loved horror, but then also loved spaceships and phaser guns and all that crazy crap, I was like, you had me at Monsters. I mean, let's do this. And it's the far superior movie in the in the fleet. And I don't watch anything past it. Like I go to one and two. Those other ones don't exist. In fact, I don't even know what you're talking about. There are no other alien movies not at all if you want to talk about horror comedy hot fuzz it's so good and people don't realize that it's a slasher movie it's a proper slasher movie man like it's insane i'm like this is amazing how is this not the the greatest movie of all time the jokes are so funny the casting is great and that simon Pegg is an action hero i'll take that all day all day i'm here for it Okay, so you are a man that has seen some things, done some things. You've toured the world. Have you ever seen a ghost? Oh, dude, I wrote a whole book about it. My second book, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Heaven, is all about my experiences with the supernatural. Essentially, I wrote the book trying to make peace with the fact that I'm a a very clear atheist, and yet... I've experienced things that I can't understand. So it's me shooting at it, honestly, from a very scientific point of view and trying to understand the energy of the soul and how that can imprint onto our memories. And when we pass in a certain way, or if it's just because we pass those memories and print themselves onto the soul and that becomes what. The it, it's I mean it's a whole thing I mean I'm I'm paraphrasing right now and I, I'm Amazon priming this as soon as we get off this Zoom. Aside from the fact that I suck at writing, it's it's actually a pretty good book. But yeah, I mean I've uh, you know for a long time I had a lot of experiences with just things that I I couldn't understand. I'd seen things, I experienced things, and I think it was because these things were attracted to the energy that I have, which. Is something else I talk about in the book is the incredible attraction that certain energies have towards each other. And they try to bundle together. And that's one of the reasons why maybe sometimes houses aren't haunted, but people are. This is my fear because John and I just bought a house in Cincinnati. It is built in 1880 old as shit. So I did not know that Cincinnati is apparently like a mega haunted town. I had no idea because it's so old. There's so much history there. So I love this stuff. I love reading about ghost things. I love a good ghost tour. I'll, I lean in. John backs the fuck out. He hates it, hates it. So as we're like, get like, this is all brand new of us, like getting this house and whatnot. But he was like, if that house is haunted, we're leaving. He's like, but you bring that on. He thinks I bring the ghosts on because I'm interested in it. He might not be Shit. wrong though. I, mean, I know. Yes. I know he <laughs> might not be wrong. What do I have to like sage myself? What do I do? I've experienced this myself because 
I kind of closed myself off to it after a while because so much weirdness was happening in my life. What was some of the weirdness? A lot of things were starting to freak out my kids. I mean, it was very physical. There was one time I came home from tour. Was this in Las Vegas? No, this was actually my old house in Iowa. And these spirits that I'm talking about, I believe, attached themselves to me from the house that I had lived in before that house, which was built in 1905. And many people had been in and out of the house. So by the time I bought it, it was actually already 100 years old. So there were many generations of things going on at the time. There were a ton of gnarly things going on in that house. And then when I went to the other house, these three younger spirits, I think, attached themselves to me and followed me because I was a father, because of that energy that I carry with myself. They liked the fact that I was very protective. They would act up a lot, especially if I'd been gone for a while. I would come home and I'd be the only one in the house. And I would go up into my son's room when he would be at his mom's house and all of his books would be stacked in the middle of his room. Shut up. I would put them back. I would go back downstairs and I swear to you within 10 minutes, I would come back up and they would be there again. Oh my God. And that's just one little thing. Some friends of mine came over when I wasn't there. I was gone on tour, but they thought I was home and nobody else was in the house. They came over, the light was on, which it wasn't when I left. The lights were on, which is one of the reasons why they stopped. And my house was a split level. So through the front door, you had windows on each side, like long rectangular windows on each side of the door. And then through that, you could see the staircase, which was directly behind the door. So you couldn't see it unless you kind of did this. Staircase went up to the second floor. Because it was a split level, there was a little bit of a gap between the ceiling in the staircase and the last stair through that was the second floor, basically. So they're ringing the doorbell and ringing the doorbell and they can hear footsteps inside. And they said that they, they went to the side to see if they could see anyone and get somebody's attention because we didn't have curtains there at the time. And they saw small patent leather shoes run in that gap, like children's feet. Oh my God. And they called me and they said, Hey, are you home? It looks like there's people inside. And I said, what are you talking about? Like I was in Europe and there was nobody else at my house, but because that was going on, it was actually encouraging more chaotic energy around me. Cause it was like kind of getting attention too. Right. Exactly. And there was real tumultuous, toxic things going on in my life from my previous relationship. And that was stirring up and it was just, a, there was a lot going on. So when I left that relationship, I really made a conscious effort to clean up all of my energy because of the way I would react when I would think about that person and think about all the other people that were in her life. And I think because that happened, it deadened a lot of the energy that I put out. I spent less time at the Iowa house because I was living in Vegas because of my youngest daughter. And I think because of that, slowly but surely, they either attached themselves to somebody else or they dissipated because there was nothing to re-energize. Oh my gosh. 
because of that, I've had less and less real encounters. And it's not because I don't want to, it's because I have my answers. I have experienced it. And now I don't, I don't need to seek it out. You know, like when it happens, I embrace it. I'm like, okay, but my energy has changed in such a way that I'm not like almost unintentionally looking for it, reaching out for it. So do you have any suggestions to cleanse a house coming into it? What do you do? Do I save it? Do I like, what do I do? Sage, I think is more for your energy than it is about the house. However, as, as your energy changes, because you believe you are using that in that way, I think that contributes to the fact that you are spreading positive energy through that place. But you could do that with anything, really. You could walk around with one of those 70s conical incense things that always smelled like a clove cigarette and just be like, all right, I bless this house. I know it's smelly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I really hope that I'm not the one bringing the energy, but I think John might be right. And I feel like you've just confirmed it. But here's the thing. Changing that doesn't mean that you lose the sensitivity. It just means that you're stopping the invitation. So our house in Vegas, I've never worried about it or thought about it because I just don't get that vibe from this house. I don't get that about this city. It just doesn't really have that vibe to it. And our house is not all that old. It's built in like, you know, 97, which I guess all things considered not that young, but in my mind, 97 was not that long ago. (laughs) No, Um, I back you. It wasn't. (laughs) It It was was not not that long ago. (laughs) But to think of a house from 1880 and in this city that is now apparently one of the most haunted places in America, I had no idea what I was walking into. So. I might have to write something in on the uh, agreement for this house somewhere. Like, <laughs> can you guys just update the HVAC and get rid of any of this? Also, could you have the house blessed? Um, thank you so much. We'll be closing in on it. I don't see anybody questioning your motives. Yeah, I think it'll Absolutely. be fine. Um, okay, so you're a huge wrestling fan. Yes. Where did this all start for you? Who are your guys? What are your moments? As far back as I can remember, I was always watching wrestling. The great thing is living in Iowa. Does that mean you have to be like a Seth Rollins guy or got that Des Moines no, connection? Not really. Okay. He's, from, he's from Davenport. I'm, I'm deep down. It's fine. Right, it's right, all right. good. <laughs> I mean, good for him, man. Anybody who's doing anything from Iowa, I high five. Anytime I hear somebody came from Iowa, I go, oh, you got paroled, did you? Good, good to see you got out of there. <laughs> it was a tough place to get out of for a while because it's kind of the middle of nowhere. But the cool thing when I was younger was that cable was kind of in its infancy. So there were a lot of rogue channels going on at the time. So I could see NWA wrestling before it was WCW, obviously on the, on TBS. I could see WWE when it had the F in it on USA. But then I could also see AWA that was going on in Minnesota because they came in on black or not a local access, but a different cable channel. And then I saw World Class because they came out and they were broadcast out of Dallas on a wholly other channel. I knew who the Freebirds were before I really knew who Hulk Hogan was, to be honest. You know, I, I grew up thinking that wrestlers only wrestled in two places, the, the small TBS uh, studio or the giant uh, arenas, you know, to me, it was the difference between a club act and a, and a stadium act. You know, 
I saw them all. I thought Kevin Sullivan was the scariest human I'd ever seen when I was a kid because I watched him try to stab a dude <laughs> in the <laughs> ring. Yeah. And he was coming at him like, yeah. I was like, I saw that in a movie. Ah! I was scared the ever living out of me. Like I was like so struck by that. I mean, it was crazy, you know? And to me, when you're growing up, you don't even realize that it's, you know, scripted or whatever, you know, and you're getting into arguments with people. It's not fake, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To this day, I get in arguments with people who say that, that word and I go, it's not fake because you can't do it. If it were fake, anybody could do it. It's not fake. There's a difference between fake and predetermined. And sometimes those matches aren't determined before the hand because you never know what the finish is going to be until you get in the ring and somebody gets it together. So these armchair critics can all kiss my entire white ass because they don't know exactly what the hell they're talking about. Are you still watching it all today? Do you get to catch much of it, of anything? I try to as much as possible. If I don't see it live, I catch up on it on like YouTube or like the various like shows or whatever. Obviously, I watch the AEW pay-per-views and whatnot. I still keep up with the WWE and stuff. I, I just love that. It's a great time to be a wrestling it fan. Is. Man. Like it's, you know, it's, and it's the cool thing is, is that you don't have to have true brand loyalty because if you're watching both, you're loyal to both. There does not have to be that line in the sand. We can enjoy everything. And it makes everything better because everyone is just as competitive as I am. And they're just like, bring We're it, we're going to win. Bring it. Yeah, exactly. um, one last thing I want to talk to you about. Um, you've had a career wearing a mask because when I watch wrestlers wearing a mask, I'm like, wonder if he's happy that he chose to do that. And now he's got to wear a mask for the rest of his career. Did you ever feel that way of like being stuck behind a mask and like, okay, here we go. Like, is it hard to perform that way? Yes. To answer that last one, it's not easy. It's interesting because I've I've done different kinds of masks. I've I've worn the the full head masks. I've worn the masks that kind of go right here and they they strap. It also helps when the reason why you're wearing them is not just because of the physical. It's because of something emotional, something creative. When I look at like a luchador and there's the whole, you know, never take off a luchador's mask, the respect and everything that's kind of ingratiated into a luchador's mask that I understand more. It's more someone that doesn't have that background that I'm like, are you happy that you chose that? Cause it seems like it's gotta be really hard to work with. <laughs> but it also comes down to the design. The design of a mask is really, that's going to determine whether or not you can breathe, whether or not you can talk. Cause if you look at Mysterio's, his isn't a perfect luchador mask because his mouth is open enough that you can speak and see his eyes. When you look at like the Sancho masks and whatnot, and they're very closed off. And you, you, sometimes you can barely understand what they're saying. So it all comes down to design. With us, the practical has to be balanced with the artistic. So I'll have an idea for something and I'll have to make sure that it can be what we call road tough. So it really kind of comes down to making sure that your vision is clear. The practicality is clear. And just because we're so stubborn, we refuse to let a mask beat us. You know, like, we're just, I don't care if it's hot out there. We're going on. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> yeah, but bushwhack my way through this goddamn <laughs> yeah. show. Uh, fantastic. Um, I mean, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you all day, but I know that you're on tour and you're taking time out to chat with me. I really appreciate it. I'm going to order your book right now. 
And when can people see you on tour and where do people get bad candy? I believe bad candy you can find on almost all the streaming services. I know you can get it on Vudu. So that means you can probably get it on Amazon and whatnot. People can see us on the NotFest Roadshow. Um, you can find dates at notfest.com. I'm fairly certain I have the dates up on my website as well, thecoreytaylor.com. Or just, you know, just kind of look on your, your local newspapers and whatnot. We're usually coming around. Well, you better believe that when you get out here, John and I are coming out to a show. We'd love to have you guys out, man. It'd be rad, you know? Well, I'd, I'll introduce the wife, man. We'll have a good oh, time. Oh, that would be great. And we'll be in a Target parking lot this time. We'll get to actually have a little hang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Very ah, cool. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, dude. Thank you very much to CMFT, Corey motherfucking Taylor, for joining me on Oral Sessions. He's welcome on the show anytime. A fellow Las Vegas dude should have a little hangout. Get the fans together, you know? Maybe I'll, like, throw some food on a smoker and we can all just have a hangout and talk more ghastly stories. And I did buy his book, so I very much so suggest that you guys do the exact same thing. Um, okay, guys, if you want to see what you are hearing... I, uh, I implore you to go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube page, my YouTube channel. Search Renee Paquette. It'll all come up there. And um, so many of the past episodes from Oral Sessions are up there already. Plenty more to come. We've got tons of content for you. So head on over there and feast your eyes on these Oral Sessions episodes. I know I like to do that sometimes with the shows that I'm into. Once I realize that there's like a YouTube, I'm like, ooh, I can watch people. Maybe I'll have some kind of voyeurism, but uh, I do enjoy it. I like watching people have these conversations. So maybe you'll enjoy these ones. Go over to uh, my YouTube channel, Renee Paquette. Also with this podcast, can you guys do me a huge solid? Can you go on to iTunes and rate and review? I know I've gone on there already to read some of the reviews you guys have left, and it truly warms my heart. Like legit. I know it sounds like facetious to say it warms my heart, but like, honestly, it really like pumps me up that, uh, that you guys listen to the show and you enjoy the show and you guys keep coming back for more. I know we continually try to knock it out of the park with booking great guests and having awesome conversations. And, uh, yeah, I like being able to give this content to you guys because these are the shows that I like to do, like having long form conversations with cool people. That's exactly what oral sessions is. So please go do those things. And I will talk to you guys next week. We'll have more spooky edition of Oral Sessions. Bye.